This is an abbreviated section from one of our chapters of the book, I Am Gravity, which is not quite published yet. Most of the time I'll be reading, but I'll have the occasional riff or set things up a little differently because reading isn't like talking to you, and I would much rather talk to you than read to you. And the goal here isn't just to be informative in these episodes. Uh, Our hope is that by listening, you see things differently, a little more deeply, and live with a little more gravity. This episode is titled, Are You Feeling Powerful? And we're inside element one of gravity, radical humility, play big, stay small. And the epigraph is, the first thing you get is the last thing you need. If you failed project after project for six straight years, it may be time to quit or take a long, hard look in the mirror. Unless, of course, a mirror is the least helpful place to look for the answer. Ernesto Ciroli arrived in Africa at age 21 to help grow food near the Zambezi River as part of a team sent by an Italian non-government organization. And the natives weren't exactly anxious to help. And instead of asking why the locals weren't interested in agriculture, his team thought, thank God we're here, just in the nick of time to save the Zambian people from starvation. So after planting seeds and nurturing farms, the team watched the land produce magnificent produce, especially Italian tomatoes. And as soon as the tomatoes were ripe, a herd of hippos emerged from the river and devoured the crop. Bewildered, Ciroli asked the Zambians why they didn't speak up before the hippos turned into harvesters. You never asked. Even good intentions may be the wrong intentions. 41 years later, Ciroli delivered an impassioned TED Talk in Christchurch, New Zealand, describing his six consecutive years of failure. Despite long days and nights, noble intentions, and the mental shift that changed his fortunes, he said, I decided when I was 27 years old to only respond to people, and I invented a system called enterprise facilitation, where you never initiate anything. You never motivate anybody, but you become a servant of the local passion, the servant of local people who have a dream to become better. So what do you do? You shut up. You never arrive in a community with any preconceived ideas, and you sit with the local people, and we become friends, and we find out what that person wants to do. Ciroli's Institute has since helped civic leaders start over 40,000 businesses in 300 communities across the world. I realize advising you to shut up and motivate no one may seem like the least inspiring way to start this chapter. Actually, it's exactly what the science of inspiration begs us to believe. Nancy Duarte is a communication expert who cracked the code of inspiration after analyzing hundreds of talks dating back decades. The first line of that code has more to do with gravity than the magic of stepping on stage and working a crowd. She said, power springs from the presenter's ability to make a deep human connection with others. But instead of connecting with others, presentations tend to be self-centered, which alienates the audience. Audience insights and resonance only occur when a presenter takes a stance of humility. And TED curator Chris Anderson lines up the sequence of inspiration in basically five steps. Connection, narration, explanation, persuasion, and revelation. The final four steps of Chris's sequence hinge not on your words, 
your ideas, your pursuit of the perfect presentation. They hinge on your connection to the audience. You can only understand people, wrote John Steinbeck, if you feel them in yourself. Moving people hinges on your ability to sync with the way they think and feel what they feel. And as empathy goes, that seems straightforward. And it is. Kind of. Ironically, one of the first things we get as leaders is the main thing that disconnects us from empathy. Power. Everyone craves power. It feels a little self-centered and subversive to even vocalize, but it's true. At least the effects of power, the freedom that money can fund, the control a degree or a job title grants, the credibility knowledge brings. Life improves when you have the power to control it. So crave away. Except that power has such a potent effect on your brain that if you so much as feel powerful, even a little, the neurological process for empathy, which is the key that unlocks inspiration, starts shutting down. Smart cells in your brain, which are called mirror neurons, fire when you experience an emotion like happiness or fear or sadness. Those same mirror neurons also fire when you see someone else experiencing emotion. If someone is sad, those neurons let you experience sadness firsthand rather than just trying to imagine it. It may not be the same sadness, but it's close enough to empathize. Psychiatrist Daniel Siegel calls areas of the brain that create resonance with others the we circuitry. But the catch is that when scientists examine the brains of powerful and less powerful people, power impairs the neural process for empathy. In fact, psychologist Dr. Keltner found that people in power act as if they've suffered a serious brain injury. In one experiment, Keltner brought students into a lab in groups of three, designating one member of each group as the leader for a group writing task. And then 30 minutes into the task, he placed a plate of freshly baked cookies in front of them, one for each team member, plus an extra to see who, if anyone, would take the fourth and final cookie. Guess who the cookie monster was? The assigned leader. And a study headed by Columbia's Adam Galinsky asked people to draw the letter E on their forehead so others could see it. Those who felt powerful were three times more likely to draw the E the right way for themselves and backwards for everyone else, which confirms the theory that people in power tend to see everything from their own perspective. So feeling powerful seems to be the corrupting variable that kills empathy while also doing a little brain damage on the side. But that isn't the whole story or even the most important part of it. In a study on power and morality led by University of Toronto's Catherine DeSellis, experimenters asked students to rate how important character traits like caring, compassionate, fair, or generous were to them. The ratings established each person's what they called moral identity. Then she primed one group to feel powerful by asking them to write an essay on a time they felt powerful, and the other group about a no-power day. Then, with people primed to feel powerful or not, DeSellis put moral identity and power to the test. She told participants of the study that they shared a pool of 500 points with a large group of people, and each person could take up to 10 points personally. The more points they took, the better their odds of winning a $100 gift certificate. However, there weren't enough points for everyone to take 10. 
So if the group used all 500 points, the lottery was canceled, which gave everyone incentive to take a lot of points, but not so high as to ruin everyone else's chances. And before each person decided how many points to take, they were advised to not take too much because points were limited. And DeSellis found that the moral identity score made no difference for those who didn't feel powerful. They took an average of 6.5 points either way. Those who felt powerful with low moral identity pocketed an average of 7.5 points. And what about those feeling powerful with high moral identity scores? They took 5.5 points, 27% less. And so as it turns out, power doesn't corrupt. And absolute power doesn't corrupt absolutely. In fact, power isn't the problem at all. Feeling powerful is. And more precisely, feeling powerful without a moral identity strong enough to handle the power. That delicate mix of power and moral identity constantly wires and rewires your we circuitry. Even in the smallest psychological voltage, a quick, imperceptible power surge of me disrupts the connection between you and them. And the weaker your moral identity, the weaker the connection. The weaker the connection, the less empathy you have. And less empathy means you're less inspiring, less relevant. That's why power, essential as it is, is sometimes subtraction by addition. So what exactly is the invisible moral code that keeps the empathic signal of inspiration clear and keeps power from interfering with our relevance. 